Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, here we go. Hebrews chapter 9. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary, for a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant, or we would call them the Ten Commandments. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot speak in detail. Wouldn't you have loved if the writer of Hebrews would have spoken in much detail? But thank God for the Holy Spirit that reveals, who reveals things to us. Verse 6, Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year. Now, one day a year, but several times back and forth in there to do what the Lord had called him to do. But uh, the writer here is saying one day a year, only the high priest could go into the holiest of all, or we call it sometimes the holy of holies. And then he says this, Verse 7 again, but into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Now, let me just stop right there because what he says here in verse 9 is is vital that we point out. Notice again, uh, verse 9, let's see. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered. So, Moses' tabernacle, which turned into Solomon's temple, what all the priests did in the holy place, and even on the Day of Atonement, uh, Yom Kippur, when the high priest went into the holy of holies, or the holiest of all, with blood, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, listen, that wasn't the end all. That wasn't intended really to wipe away men's sins. No, the blood of animals can't do it. But this was symbolic for the present time. So he says all these gifts, all these sacrifices that happened in the Old Testament were symbolic for us today and how we relate to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, verse 10. Concerned, uh, They were concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of the Reformation. Verse 12. But excuse me, verse 11, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. Don't you love that? But Christ, that's, that's Jesus. But Jesus Christ came, 
uh, as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Well, what greater and more perfect tabernacle? We're talking about the tabernacle in heaven, that the one here on earth was just made as sort of a replica of the one in heaven. So he says of the tabernacle not made with hands. Verse 12, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So after Jesus died on the cross, after he was raised from the dead, he went up to heaven to the real tabernacle, not made with hands, the original tabernacle, where when you go into the holiest of all, the holy of holies, then God is seated there. So he went into the real tabernacle, and guess what? He didn't go in with the blood of goats and bulls and calves. No, he went in with his own blood, innocent human blood, the only blood that could really atone for the sins of human beings. Everything else was showing us what was going to happen, and they had to use animal blood. And somebody said, well, why did they sacrifice all those animals? Let me tell you, one of the big reasons is God wanted to show man how serious sin was and what a grave price of death sin incurred and caused. So that when Jesus came, all the death of all those thousands, millions maybe, of animals that were sacrificed over the centuries, well, all of that wrath came on one human being, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he took the payment for all of us, drained his blood right out of his body, his innocent blood to pay for our sins. All of that in the Old Testament was a sign, was symbolic, to make an impact on the consciousness of every Jewish person so that they would know, hey, this is a serious punishment for a serious uh, act of sin uh, of humanity and countless billions of sins that have been uh, committed against Creator God. And yet Jesus came, thank God, thank God to wash us away from our sins. So here we go. 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? God not only wants to forgive your sins, he wants to, by the blood of Jesus, cleanse your conscience by the power of the Holy Spirit. Cleanse your conscience so that you don't even have a guilty conscience anymore. Isn't that wonderful? I don't know about you, but I don't want a cloud of shame hanging over me. I don't want a cloud of guilt uh, walking around following me in my life. And Jesus not only wanted us to be forgiven, he wanted us to not have that icky feeling of having this hanging over our heads, that we could actually know that we've been washed in the blood of Jesus. We've become the righteousness of God in Christ. Verse, verse 15, and for this reason, he, Jesus, is mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal 
inheritance. So Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. What is a mediator? A mediator is between the two sides. It's sort of a double representative. When Jesus was on the cross, he was representing us. He was taking our punishment for sin. But when he was on the cross, he was also representing God. He was sinless, and he was and still is God. So he was the mediator. He represented God. He represented us. And notice in a blood covenant, two wrists are cut, and they put them together, and the blood mingles together. Well, for the first time in history, it was possible that the blood of God and the blood of man could flow together in the person of Jesus Christ. That was God's blood because he was and is God. But it was also man's blood because he was and still is a human being. So innocent blood of God, innocent blood of man flowed together. And he became a mediator of a new covenant, swearing. He was swearing to his father God. I, as a human being, will obey you. I will walk in your ways now. As a human being, I'm committing on behalf of all those who put their trust in me, that we're going to serve you, God. See, we're his body. So he's committing himself, the head, and us, his body. He's saying, we're going to serve you, Father, the way that we should have been serving you all along. But also, as God, he's also swearing to us in blood. I swear I'll keep my promises. I swear I'll forgive your sins. I swear I'll I'll do everything that I uh, covenanted to do all from the Old Testament from Abraham all the way through the New Testament promises and covenant. He says, I'll keep all of that. I'm swearing in blood that I'll do it. I'll give you eternal life. I'll bring healing to, to you, to your family and such. And uh, I'll answer your prayers. I mean, folks, there's so much tied up in the cross and what Jesus paid for. And the Bible says he is mediator of the new covenant. Now let's come down to verse 16. For where there is a testament, and this is sort of like a last will and testament. So Jesus, uh, he made this covenant and then he died. And so it's going to talk about how when somebody uh, writes a will, or maybe they have a living trust, but let's, let's say it as a will. Well, that will doesn't go into effect until they die. So watch this. For where there is a testament, there must also, of necessity, be the death of the testator. In other words, until the person that wrote the will dies, then the will doesn't go into effect. So you have to have the death, the death of the testator. Verse 17, for a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken uh, every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with the water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Listen to this. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Verse 23. Therefore, it was necessary 
that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with things, excuse me, with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of, with blood of another. He then would have had to have suffered to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So he's saying, if Jesus had to do what the, the high priests of old did, and every year they would go into the Holy of Holies with the blood of uh, bulls and such, he would have had to die over and over. But no, the reason that had to happen is because their sin was never really paid for because the blood of animals can't pay for the sin of human beings. Only the innocent blood of a human being who had not sinned can take the place of those who have. And so all of that was just bringing us up to the point where there would be an innocent man. And Jesus was the only one after Adam sinned. Jesus was the only innocent man. And so it goes on to say, and as it is appointed for men, once to die, verse 27, but after this, the judgment. Now, let's just stop there. As it is appointed for men, once to die, but after this, the judgment. So I know he's going to get to something else, but let's just stop there. Folks, if Jesus doesn't come pretty soon, we're all going to die. And there will be judgment for all of us. This is for every human being, every one of the pushing toward 8 billion people. Let me tell you, every one. Everyone is going to be judged. I don't know about you, but I want to do what's right now. Now, while we're on this earth, while we're in this life, this is the only opportunity to prepare for the judgment. You can't wait till you die and then prepare. It's too late. No, now's the time. So it goes on to say, or let me read that part again. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who are to those who eagerly wait for him he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation listen to that last sentence to those who eagerly wait for him he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation well there are many people who are afraid of Jesus coming but we're not supposed to be afraid. We're supposed to hasten his coming. We're supposed to say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come and fix the problems of this world. Well, if you're not walking with the Lord, or if you still have a guilty conscience, then, of course, you're afraid of his coming. But really, we need to look for his coming, and we need to say, Lord, help me to be the person you've called me to be. And we need to be eagerly waiting his appearance, his appearing. Why is that? Because Everything going on right now that is destroying people's lives, ultimately the devil. Jesus said, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But he said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So ultimately, everything happening in this life that is stealing, killing, destroying, abortion, murder, child abuse, uh, sex trafficking, etc., etc., all these things that are happening 
let me racism, all, everything that is destroying other people, hindering other people, hurting other people. All that ultimately comes from the devil. And when Jesus comes back the second time, he's not going to come back in the, the humble uh, uh, meekness that he walked in before, allowing all this to go on. He's going to come back as a victorious king. The first time he came to heal and to pay the ultimate price. The next time he comes back, he's coming back as the victorious king. And let me tell you, according to the prophecies, which, by the way, all the prophecies of the Bible have come to pass so far. So it'd be a foolish thing not to believe that these prophecies that are still to come about the end of the age are not going to come past, uh, not going to come to pass. They are going to come to pass. And so Jesus is now going to come back as a conquering king and he's going to set things in order. He's going to stop all this violence, all this hate all of this abuse and such, and he's going to bless and bring justice for everybody. And oh, we're going to go into a thousand year reign where Jesus is the king, the world ruler. And let me tell you, then we're going to find out how things ought to be run because Jesus is a good Lord and he's compassionate, but he's just. And so we're going to find out how things should have been all along. Well, thank God for Hebrews chapter 9 and chapter 10. Let me tell you, one of the best chapters in the book of Hebrews. Don't miss tomorrow, Hebrews chapter 10. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit SolidLives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.